50 seconds now until liftoff. SpaceX, go for launch. So this is the first time in basically nine years that we attempted to launch astronauts from U.S. soil. SpaceX, this is resilient. Roger, go. So it's really cool that they got to see their families here. And the one thing I really like about the Tesla, uh, the boys got to go up and, you know, wave goodbye to their uh, their fathers a little bit closer. You didn't get that in the, uh, the Astro van. They just hopped on board and headed out there. Kind of brings us right back around to that whole stylistic difference we're seeing now with SpaceX in 20. Did we think Elon Musk was going to put them on a... Um, on a motorhome and send them out there. No, no he didn't send them out there like this. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition. And resilience rises. Not even gravity contains humanity when we explore as one for all. So I'm going to step outside uh, and let you guys see what it is that I'm experiencing. Um, trying to get a direct measurement with a handheld uh, Kestrel anemometer here. We'll see what we can pick up, but uh, what in this uh, When that tornado worn cell came through the neighborhood and it brought down several large pines, just like the one you're seeing right here behind me. To give you a sense of what the aftermath of storm damage smells like, it smells very heavily of pine and also sounds like chainsaws. We have another tree down here. This one just barely missing this brick home. I mean, this is incredible. Let me turn the camera around. It gives back into kind of a dry view. And I get up here and all of a sudden storm surge started. And all of a sudden, I ended up about four feet of water. I'm Scotty Powell here reporting just outside of Sparta, North Carolina, where you've seen a lot of the earthquake damage. Again, a 5.1 magnitude earthquake rocked Sparta, uh, North Carolina earlier this morning, just after 8 a.m. If you're going to look at the footing of that, you'll see where the, it was a twist. Very severe wind that caused destruction. From Gaston County to back here in Mecklenburg County, those were just two of the tornado warnings that were issued here for the greater Charlotte area. I'm not one for hyperbole, but it's countless at this point. There's trees on houses. There's a lot of roads that are blocked. We're just trying to get cleaned up so people can get through. Have you ever seen the Dan River like this before? No, not that I can recall. I mean, I've seen it fairly flooded before, but I've never seen it to where it's where we're now kind of asking ourselves, OK, a couple more feet and it might uh, get over those bridges. But it was a much different story this past weekend in Arkansas. Let's bring in uh, Ryan. Uh, you were actually working from home, and you had your other meteorologist back in the station. Just just bring everybody up to speed if they're not familiar with what took place this past weekend. Okay, so typically in a severe weather situation, uh, we would we would all be in the studio, and we had already kind of discussed that. Okay, in the in the interest of social distancing, and we were already kind of playing that. Um, I go here and you guys stay back there and we wouldn't be there. Uh, and, and hopefully we would go into long form programming. And uh, so the tornado warning came out. It was uh, it was hard to not get emotional. I've lived here almost 20 years and um, outside of a couple of years, I, I lived in Alabama and to watch that go through the, the town that you've, you know, forecast for and, 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 and covered for so many years, it was, it was tough to kind of hold the emotions back on that one. And I thought I really did. I mean, you look at that 
I thought we were going to be pulling dead bodies out all night. And, um, and we weren't. Cheddar's is a restaurant that would have been completely packed uh, with a probably about an hour wait with people sitting all around it uh, on a normal Saturday at five o'clock. Instead, they had a couple of workers that were cooking to-go orders. You just had an extremely populated area that um, if this had hit on a normal Saturday night where people aren't um, staying inside, uh, it would have been very bad. But what it was is a chart basically showing um, the lack of uh, upper air obs from aircraft. People don't realize that every commercial aircraft that takes off and lands collects you know, data for us. You can see pre-COVID, which is earlier in the month, we were getting about 15 to 18,000 observations into the 12Z GFS. Um, as of this morning's GFS, that is down to like 2,000. We have that lack of upper air data. Um, some of the, the accuracy and the guidance can drop. This uh, social distancing stuff clears up. I'm waiting for some Taran ribs. <laughs> every Saturday. Every Saturday, I yeah. post of Taran cooking. I've had extra time on my hands. Vinegar mm -hmm. or tomato-based sauce? You about to give me a trouble, man. <laughs> I like a more uh, tomato-based oh, no. uh, barbecue sauce. Like I'm with Taran on that. Even though I'm from North Carolina, I don't want to eat barbecue and have my throat burn. <laughs> you know, a good mix, a good middle of the road barbecue. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't because we need the viewers to still like us after disparaging <laughs> 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 barbecue. <laughs> Whatever. And these are the fun questions. Yeah. <laughs> I've already been thinking about hurricane season as well. I don't want to have to deal with any hurricanes. I just want it to be quiet because I think it's the last thing people need to worry about right now. But we know, I mean, it's April. Uh, for us, April's the peak of, uh, of severe weather season. Hurricane season's around the corner. So at some point in the next couple months, uh, we're going to be dealing with severe weather and coronavirus at the same time. And Our group at CSG, we put out our forecast in early April. Um, and at that point, we're called for 16 storms. Of those 16, eight becoming hurricanes, and of those eight, four becoming major category three, four, five hurricanes, winds of 111 miles per hour or greater. Is that Zeta, it's not the last letter in the Greek alphabet. Um, that question has come up now that we have found ourselves in the Greek alphabet in this very active tropical season. Well, what do we do next? There are more letters. This replaces C, right? Our next storm, if we do have one, is uh, Eta. Um, ETA. So we still have a lot of Greek alphabet names to go through if we, we end up doing that. But uh, yeah, we are going to, I think, surpass uh, the 2005 hurricane season list. So and this is going to be Holden Beach, Sunset Beach, somewhere, Oak Island, somewhere right in that. Yeah, right right in there, Holden Beach, very close to Holden Beach, it looks like. The last pictures we had out of there were incredible to show that force of the rain and the wind as that eye wall approached, but then we lost that camera. What we're getting now, though, is a double whammy. We're going to have Dan Whitaker and Chris Jackson at the same time as they're dialing into our Zoom and let's see them popping up on the screen. Hey, I am in... Um... Wrightsville or uh, Wilmington, kind of uh, center Wilmington right now. But yeah, it's shaking my it's shaking my vehicle. Let me go ahead and step out here. Currently, be safe, Dan. I hope you're getting uh, getting a clear view of what I'm seeing here. These are some very powerful gusts. Um, trying to get a direct measurement with a handheld uh, Kestrel anemometer here. We'll see what we can pick up, but. Uh, Oh, and there, there goes uh, change.
mention the fact that we have video coming in from Chris Jackson as well, too, who last we heard was in Cherry Grove near North Myrtle Beach. Chris, can you hear us? Where are you? What are you seeing? Yeah, still in Cherry Grove. I'm uh, sitting at uh, 22nd Avenue uh, in Spring Street. And uh, wow, the storm surge down here is absolutely incredible. The marsh here in Cherry Grove, I can vouch for every single one of these houses on this street, that street, all the way down to about right there, that big tower. That's at least 15 or 20 streets, maybe 25 streets. Every single one of them streets is flooded with at least four feet of water. Almost every single one of them streets has a fire truck or two fire trucks or three fire trucks with boat crews rescuing people right now. And all of a sudden, I ended up in about four feet of water. Simple answer is it's concerning because we look at the ACE and some of that ACE, the accumulated cyclone energy, was generated. You know, like we look at Laura, it was a 150 mile per hour hurricane, but it did so in that last day before landfall. And Michael did the same thing in 2018. Uh, Matthew rapidly intensified on approach to Florida. And you know, it was very fortunate for Florida that it just scraped by 20 miles offshore. Dorian stopping, I don't know, whatever it was, 180 miles short of West Palm Beach, our vicinity, as a rapidly intensifying Category 5. And we're getting real close here to some absolutely mind-boggling disasters because these hurricanes are intensifying close to land. People want simple answers sometimes, and sometimes it's hard to give a simple answer. And, and you know, it's, it's, and there's not a lot of simple answers when it comes to weather. There's, it can be complex. Tonight we have a very special guest with us, former FEMA Administrator Craig Fugate is joining us. We live here in the, the Carolinas, um, the Charlotte metropolitan area, Winston-Salem, Greensboro. Um, over 2 million people live in that general area, and there's no adequate radar coverage to detect tornadoes uh, flash flooding. How in tune is Washington to how weather affects people? Do you think sometimes weather and their issues kind of get pushed to the side a little bit? A little bit. The only time they get serious about weather is when there's a catastrophic failure in their district. I mean, think about it. The Weather Service couldn't even get a supercomputer to run better models uh, until after Hurricane Sandy or Superstorm Sandy showed how inadequate their computational powers were. So unfortunately, everything from getting WSR 88s, which was the result of several airplane crashes due to micro shear, to uh, you know the latest funding for the Weather Service in this you know Superstorm Sandy stimulus package, uh, Washington tends to be reactive. Craig, do you think we have a radar crisis on the horizon? I think if we're serious about being able to rapidly detect uh, fast-moving uh, tornadoes. Particularly now, the warning systems have caught up with the forecasting. We can actually now issue across cell phones more detailed warnings from the Weather Service than their current technology can really do. And they've been migrating that way. So now they can do polygon warnings, yet they're still basing it upon radar technology that will miss part of that. There's still gaps in that coverage. Generation ago, the main job of the National Weather Service forecaster, the meteorologist, was to issue the forecast. But what the forecasters do now where they really, really make a difference is what we refer to as decision support or decision support services. That ability to get that information and get it out and let 
uh, our special customers know exactly what is happening, when it is happening, contacting emergency managers and working with the emergency management community to have their resources ready to go, to be ready to respond when the weather is coming through. If you think about how much of our economy and daily life is tied directly to the weather. And the, the way you see that most succinctly is being in the checkout line at the grocery store because everybody's talking about it. You have to know what's going on with the weather if you're going to react to the real world. Uh, everything from our transportation to our agriculture uh, uh, to daily life in, in general revolves around the ability to understand how nature, how the atmosphere is going to impact us over the next several days. Uh, without the National Weather Service, uh, I think we would be way, way behind in, in where we are right now. In 2009, ironically, as, as Climate Gate was breaking, we were meeting in Washington, D.C. to map out a program that would become Climate Matters. The whole focus of our work was to educate people about how the climate is changing and why it's changing and how it's going to affect them locally. We just wanted to give people the scientific information. You just put a brand new roof on your home <laughs> about a week before that EF1 tornado came through Charlotte. Did you get some ideas from the Insurance Institute? And so they wanted to see how much water intrusion they would get through the, the, the normal roof versus the fortified roof. And when I saw that demonstration, and at the end of last year, I my roof needed to be replaced, I said, you know what, I'm doing that fortified roofing system. So I lost 15 trees in my yard, um, and we only ended up losing 10 cap shingles, which are the shingles on the, on the peak. Um, those are weaker shingles, and the nails held. The shingle was actually ripped off the roof. The nails did not pop out, and because I had that um, ice and water shield underneath that actually kept the rain out of my house. So my roof held up pretty well. Considering I had a 71 mile an hour wind gust, I was pretty impressed on how well it did. In North Carolina, we have around 98% of our fires are caused by humans. <laughs> that so, is terrifying. <laughs> well, it's only 2% are caused by lightning and that's different in a lot of other parts of the country, but here, with our wildland urban interface, we have a lot of population, so we have a lot of human caused fires. There's 10 to 30, 30 to 50, and 50 to 80, and then there's um, in excess of 80%. And so that's the probability of exceeding that local watch warning criteria. In that sense, those are meant to just kind of fairly easily communicate what the, what the relevant risks are. When we were thinking about these to try to bring up some kind of weather maps here, um, you know, the first thing we thought about is how do we identify where the stadiums are for people to see what type of weather impacts they, they could actually be. So essentially wherever you see those circles with the, you know, the, the X in the middle, that's essentially the location of a, of a stadium that actually is, is predicted is in the upcoming week of, of, um, of, of date. What the, the biggest thing is that the, the current hierarchy, the marginal slight enhanced moderate high, is what the SPC uses and what the public perceives as the hierarchy of those words with no context is slight as the first level, marginal, which is the second, moderate, the third, enhanced, which is the fourth, and the fifth being high. So the high is the only category that translates from one to the other. So it's it, it's a problem. It was just a great way to apply my 
nerdy passions of, of physics and math uh, to something that was really interesting. A lot of interesting challenges and problems still to be solved. Um, so one way or another, I've been into weather for 50 years. So I thought, well, what if you actually put a good radar near a tornado, what would you see? Um, so it was just asking that kind of simple question and how could you do that? Um, so I had what in retrospect wasn't a great idea of putting a, a radar in a van, just a regular old passenger van with an antenna in the back and you would open the back doors and expose the antenna. And literally we would just do donuts in a parking lot to scan. It wouldn't scan. We would just do donuts <laughs> facing the tornado. That was my original idea. Um, and uh, we would just do donuts and see if we could take some slices through a tornado. Um, that quickly morphed into, you know, some engineers telling me, you know, you can actually make that antenna move. Um, and here's how to do it, uh, into coming up with the first Doppler and wheels. By getting it 50 times closer, um, we had a 50 times smaller beam that way, we had a 50 times smaller beam that way, so it's already 2,500 times better. We were a little bit clever and sampled in the third direction better, but I could get 10,000 pieces of data where an 88D would typically get one. 